0: Welcome to the podcast edition of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. I'm your host, Pat Braden, broadcasting to you over the virtual airwaves from the Love Shack Studio here in the heart of Old Town, Yellowknife, Northwest Territories. Now I'm a bass player, Chapman stick player, singer-songwriter, and I've been playing music throughout the North since about 1977. As a young musician, I was caught up in the explosion of popular music in the world through the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. As I got older I thought there must have been the same thing happening up here, just in a different place and on a different scale. So in 2003 I started to interview the older players who taught me most of what I know today and many more musicians that I'd only ever heard of. My intention was to have an accessible and free place where anyone could go to learn about these players and the musical times and the lives that they lived. Over the years, I've collected 30-plus interviews and created an archival website at www.musiciansofthemidnightsun.com. Some of these interviews are quite long, so I wanted to bring the core of their stories to a more accessible format. So I created this series of podcasts to continue the celebration of the musical lives of these northern musicians who performed in northern Canada from the 1950s through to the mid-1970s. Thanks for tuning in. Please send any questions and comments to me through this website. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. I was pretty active in my junior high school students' council. One of my tasks was to book the bands for the monthly dances the school would sponsor. One of those bands was the Stained Glass Illusion. Before I even knew what a bass guitar was, Gary Tease caught my attention, playing a beautiful white Fender Precision bass. Looking up from the dance floor to the stage, Gary was larger than life, standing in front of his huge sun speaker cabinet. Through the years, I got to see and hear him play with many local bands, sometimes beside his brother John. Gary and John were both born and raised in Yellowknife, and were the first of the young rock and roll bands on the local scene in the mid-1960s. Over the years, Gary worked a government job, raised a family, and through it all, kept playing music late into the nights on weekends or the odd six-nighter. Gary always had a gig. He loves to talk about music, bass guitars, musicians, amps, or who is playing in what clubs. He's always had his finger on the pulse of the local music scene. Even today, Gary encourages the young up-and-coming players showing up to jam sessions with bass in hand and ready to play whatever song is called. Gary found and has carried his love for music through his entire life. He starts the interview by paying homage to his first and most important musical influence.
1: When I was growing up, of course, the town was just a little uh, gold mining town of 3,000 and uh, I was probably influenced more by my father who was a guitar player and played at house parties. And uh, my mom would uh, joke that when I was a toddler, I would uh, be dancing around and dad would speed up, slow down, and I wouldn't miss a beat. Can
0: you remember the names of of, uh, the people that would come over to the house party and play with your your dad and your mom?
1: Yeah, with my dad, uh, of course, Alec Glowich, senior, uh, owned the guitar, so he was there. I believe a few other people might have been Eddie Lassard, and uh, maybe Norm Burgess, people like that. Others I probably don't even know or haven't heard of since.
0: Can you remember what songs they were playing?
1: My dad used to sing all kinds of stuff and he'd sing stuff like even from the old Civil War in the States. He had Scottish ancestry and he would be singing and it's a wee knocking doors. A lot of the old standard stuff from the forties and fifties, I guess. Even for us kids, uh, and I've done this for my children, I've played a little bit of children's tunes. Uh, you know, a peanut set on a railroad track, his heart was all a flutter. Long came the choo-choo train, toot toot peanut butter, you know, that kind of thing. Just C, F, and G, and I sometimes just fool around and play with, like my dad, and he always had that thump on with his foot And he would strum just just with his thumb, very lightly. And he did every song just with three chords. And he, of course, had a real great voice. He used to sing in a choir when he was a young man. Sorry to
0: interrupt, but your dad, was he born in Canada or born in Scotland? Oh, my
1: dad was born in in Ontario. He was from Ontario. Bruce Mines around there. He came up after the war. He worked at Giant Mine, and uh, eventually, before he retired... He had, of course, his own business as a plumber and he also worked at the correctional centers, the maintenance man there. Yeah, he, he's passed on, but we do still have tapes of his stuff. And, uh, you know, it's always great to listen to it and shed a few tears.
0: I could ask you another question right now. Were you listening to the radio? Were you listening to records?
1: We would listen to the radio. We never heard the, the records till Speed Taylor, one of the guys renting a, a room upstairs, brought down a a 45 uh, It's called uh, Don't Let the Rain Come In or something like that. And my roof's got a hole in it and I might drown. But we'd listen to the radio and all of us kids rocked on the couch and we used to always get heck because we would damage the couch. But we would rock on that couch banging our heads against it and beat with the music.
0: Can you remember it's like this is going a long ways back. Can you remember uh, the names of any of the shows that you would listen to, or what was the radio like?
1: Well, I think the radio would have been just CBC, you know, and I remember the, the, the later years called Gather Round, but they must have had some programs on, and usually probably a Saturday afternoon, you know, we listened to that. The thing that really got me going music-wise to play, actually, was uh, when I went to Sir John High School, before I went there actually I went with my my parents to listen to a concert with a band called the Auroras that was George Mandeville playing guitar, Hans Nenza and uh, Matthew somebody or other and I can't remember there was four of them there was no bass player but they were sort of like the Ventures all dressed up in these red or pink uh, suits all in a line you know moving together and I thought to myself, I want to be up there. I want to be doing that. So I bugged George Mandeville to this day, telling him that he influenced me to play guitar. But what really got me going was when the Beatles cor- course came out. Uh, the first 45 we bought, Can't Buy Me Love, on Capitol Records. I brought that into my sister's room. She had the only record player there. And we played that thing over and over and wore it down. A friend of ours, Victor Mercury, who was went to play hockey uh, in later years the three of us would listen to that over and over and over again flip side was you can't do that and I still have that record I should hang it up in my room
0: something,
1: yeah. yeah so uh, other than playing in our first years and learning guitar uh, from our math teacher Will Shadlowski, I see the moon and the moon sees me very simple stuff to learn on And, of course, bugging him during math class and getting him off the subject at hand and getting him talking about guitars. He would tell us how he played in a band in his earlier years. In fact, he had a guitar that a friend of mine, Bob Arland, eventually bought from him. And Bob and I used to have a duo alone and played folk music sort of stuff. As we expanded our... Abilities. Other people came along like Wayne Bertrand played with us uh, and Larry Glowich played drums. We would jam away in the Glowich's basement uh, and our little 5 or 10 watt tube amps all was plugged into that thing. And this kid kept coming down bugging us. His name was Norman Glowich, Larry's younger brother. And we'd chase him off. And the story goes that after we went uptown for a pop, he would go down there and start hitting on, on, on the drums. But other people, at, uh, around that time, a friend of, uh, of Wayne Bertrand's, Wayne was, uh, of course, of French descent from Alberta. Uh, there was a guy named Frenchie Serene, and uh, he had a band going. We were too young to play in the bars. But we used to go to the Serene's house, and down in their small little house, we had a little, probably like an 8 by 8 cubby hole, and we'd put our amps down there, and we would jam away. Uh, Of course, in high school we formed a band at St. Pat's High and we had Wayne Bertrand on rhythm, myself on bass, my brother John playing lead, and Larry on drums. So we had a band going there. Uh, There was different names that we went through. Uh, The Vibrations, of course, when the psychedelic era was sort of starting. We Four, you know, some of the typical names. But in later years when the government uh, moved here from Ottawa, territorial government. That was the big change in the music scene, I think. A big influence was a guy by the name of Tony. Anyway, he was a drummer, and he would tell us about these bands called the Staccatos and down in Ottawa. It was sort of like a Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels type of thing happening, Motown. And we brought in another keyboard player, Penny Almond, uh, who played with us. And we formed a band uh, called the Stained Glass Illusion. And another local poet named uh, Doug Leonard used to joke and later calling us the Stained Glass Confusion. That name was used by one of my sons in a band that he formed later. So we were the stain, Stained Glass Illusion. And we had our sort of little mini Beatles fame uh, thing because we ended up playing in, in a few communities like Fort Smith and up in Anuvik and we were sort of the first long hairs uh, with that type of music and changing over from if you want to call it you know the greaser era and uh, we were just treated like royalty there we were asked for autographs and people were flocking us and you know that was our little mini claim to, to fame the odd time even people who are still around come up to me and mention the fact that you remember the stained glass illusion so that was one of the more famous bands way back when we were in high school
0: just we'll just just pause there okay take a freeze frame and go back to you first getting turned on to music and playing in bands where did you guys buy your records where did you buy your guitar strings how did you get instruments how did you get your amps where did you get them
1: I don't know where the first ones appeared. I guess they might have been uh, hand-me-downs from guys like Frenchy Serene. Uh, they were little tube amps you little 510 waters. But uh, my first guitar, I think, was, of course, an acoustic. I don't know where I bought it from. But I did buy uh, my first six-string electric guitar from Simpson Sears catalog. And I remember on the middle of winter, probably 40 below... Every day after school, I would go to Grimshaw Trucking to see if it came in, and and when it did arrive one day, I walked all the way from Grimshaw Trucking, you know, several, I would say a good half-hour walk, brought it home, opened the box, and that thing was, it was still frozen solid, and I couldn't wait. I strung it up and tuned it up and started playing it, and uh, I didn't realize if I shouldn't have done that because it had sort of like an alligator skin on it later. It sort of cracked and warped. Later, I ordered my first bass again through Simpson Sears and had a Tysko bass. It was a four-string, and I've seen the odd one on the on the eBay now, and they really fetch a big dollar. But my first uh, real bass was, of course, a Fender Mustang. Uh, we used to buy our stuff from Yellow Life Radio. Harold Glick had a, a music store selling hi-fis and albums and records that we would buy our records, and he would sell guitar strings and we had to order through the catalog. And I ordered my first uh, Mustang bass with the racing stripe. It was blue. And uh, it was great. Uh, later I graduated to a uh, my first precision, American precision, uh, through an order through Harold Glick. Uh, at that time the Beach Boys were big and I bought a white precision. and. Through years of playing in the bars, after I had it for a number of years, it turned yellow with age. And unfortunately, I sold it for $400. It'll probably fetch about three or 4,000 now. And I was working uh, at the Bay in the Gross you know, stocking shelves, and I used that. I had to go through Laurentide Finance, and it seemed like I paid forever to pay that guitar off. And I also bought an amp, a Sun Amp, Sonero. Through Harold Glick and Yellowknife Radio, finance through Laurentide Finance. Do
0: you remember how much you spent
1: on it? Oh, I can't remember. But I, uh, I would think the base might have been six or eight hundred dollars, maybe at that time. The amp, maybe a little more. I also bought a Sun 200S tube head, and which I used for a number of years later in a country band mostly. And I had also bought a. Uh, a cabinet with two 15-inch speakers, D-140s. And to this day, uh, to me, that's the ultimate sound. Uh, That warm P bass through that sun amp. Uh, So I did actually downsize around the time I sold my bass and got into more combos and stuff, and more high-tech stuff.
0: What kind of gigs were you playing? And were they paying gigs in those days?
1: Well, when we were in high school, of course, it was whatever they're paying at high school, and, and, uh, you know, it was big money to us back then, probably 50 bucks each, maybe, or $100 would be big money. When we got out of high school, we started doing our own thing, and and the odd time, we would rent a hall ourselves, like the old Legion Hall, and, of course, there was no booze, but we'd make our money off the sale of pop and stuff, and... We were tutored, business-wise, by a a good friend, Nick Jones. He never played guitar, but he was probably five or ten years older than us, but he was there just sort of as this adult guy who looked after us and helped us a lot. And uh, I don't know where Nick Nick today is, but he really influenced us a lot in the organization and working things out between band members. I recall as well, at the old uh, Northern United Church, there used to be a a little jam place down there, with tie-dye sheets and stuff, and there used to be jams there all the time, and different bands, local bands playing there. It was a great place, you know. Kids, all the local kids would hang out there on the Friday, Saturday nights, and we had a good thing happening.
0: I was gonna ask you, okay, so around that time you're playing in bands, there's other bands in town, because there's bars bringing bands in from out of town. remember? what clubs were happening around that time, or what bars were happening around that time, and what other bands and musicians, what other musicians were you seeing?
1: Well, as you said, a lot of influence from people coming up from the South. Uh, a lot of changes happening in life, particularly since the uh, 1967, or whenever the territorial government moved here and the town grew. During high school, one of the bands at the Keicho Hall was the UM Squared, with Mark Whitford and... Uh, Kevin Mackey and Tom Hudson, great singer, and uh, Tony Buggins, I believe, might have been that band for a while, and several other guys. And they were sort of the Akecho band, and we were sort of the St. Pat's band. But as we all got out of school and moved on to different projects, different bands, and it, were influenced in different ways, uh, well, of course, some of the bands that were coming up were forming... Friends, which would be the one you were in with Sandy Wilson and JT. Yeah, in the later days, for sure. In later days, Terry Mercer, who we talked about, mm-hmm. uh, playing at the old Rec Hall or at the Gallery. I don't know if it was always called a Gallery. I can't and there was funny. a place where the old uh, where the diner is now. I can't remember or recall the name of that place. There was a sort of I think maybe an empty bakery, and I remember. Oh, I can't remember names, but I can remember faces, you know, of different bands. And uh, some more or less the the harder rock stuff back then, rock and roll. And a lot of people coming through. I remember a guy from Vancouver, another guy named uh, Lenny Sademan. He was a drummer. He played double bass. In fact, when Prince Charles and Princess Anne were here, we played at the Old Beach there at... uh, Behind City Hall there, and I have pictures of that, with Lenny Sadman and Tony Gilchrist was the guy who influenced us, from the Ottawa scene. He brought that beat, you know that, whatever it was, you know. Tony, and what did Tony play? Tony yeah. played drums and he sang. Oh, okay. And I would say he got <coughs> us. That was the stained glass illusion. He was the the sound, uh, that sort of double bass, you know, or double sound. Uh, did great dance music and really got everybody going Uh, Um, The Elks and the Legion were they they popular places to play and and dances and stuff like that? They always were I guess for the country scene and uh, as we started maturing and you know that sort of scene was was sort of leaving and the disco thing was coming in I was asked by a, a band Northbound Freeway to join them Mark Whitford Brian Lyons and Murray Grabke, they had lost their bass player. I, I can't recall who was there before me. But it was country stuff, and you know, I, I had to learn it, and, and did in fact learn it, and played it for a good 10, 15 years. Made a lot of money. Don't tell the tax man. Uh, and of course Dave and Sherry, Dave Svenson and Sherry Svenson, with their band coming up, they were a real hot band. I used to record us with, with a uh, simple cassette player at different events. We played either at the Elks Legion, even upstairs in the Elks for different events. Some of the recordings were good, and you could hear the crowd in the back, you know. And it was packed. You couldn't get in sometimes. So I played with them for quite a few years and enjoyed that. And I think playing country was a good foundation for getting a real good feel, you know, for other kinds of music. You know, I didn't mind country. I made a lot of money at it these days I do a bit of country at the local gold range uh, or whatever but uh, I've always loved the blues and uh, was turned on to blues when a lot of these guys were coming up uh, from the south and a good friend of mine Bing Stiles played uh, harp and we used to listen to tons of blues music at his place and uh, I've got quite a bit of material there you know records and tapes from different uh, musicians, different eras. i am always loved to hear and play the blues, Um, especially the uh, the raw stuff, right? Mm -hmm.
0: Did you get to play out in the camps at all? In the rec halls out there? there, I
1: did play both Con Rec Hall and, and Giant Rec Hall, but at that time the rivalries weren't there, the mines were operating still. But any rivalry between communities like Giant and Con and town was more on the hockey scene, you know, on the rink. But people would rent the Con Rec Hall, various people in town or, or at the mines, and we would play, uh, at, even in my younger teen years, for teen dances at the Con Rec Hall, or at the Giant Rec Hall in later years for adult dances. And they were always well attended
0: when you were growing up the technology was coming on board and I mean that that's one sort of aspect that I think had huge impact on music and the evolution of music and when you come to look at a place like Yellowknife which was really isolated and I mean you're talking about the government coming here in 67 and how drastic that change was Mm. can you remember when the road got put in? Can you remember the change that would have happened there? Was that a little bit early?
1: That was probably too early because the road I think it was put in late 50s, yeah. 60s. Yeah, early 61 or
0: something. Yeah, like that
1: so is. as far as my recollection and, and my age, you know, I mean, I was born in 52, so I would have been eight years old in 1960. And in 1962, 63, when the Beatles came out, I would have been 11, yeah. 12, 13.
0: Yeah, so okay, the Beatles came out and you got that 45. What kind of movies did we get to the movie theater? What?
1: Yeah, well, the Capitol Theater, the old Capitol Theater, of course, had the um, fairly up-to-date movies, and all the Elvis ones would come in. And uh, as I said, I was influenced by Elvis before the Beatles because, uh, you know, his singing and so forth. And uh, I didn't really have any of his albums or that, but as a young man, he influenced me probably because he seemed like such a gentleman. I remember at Sutherland's Drugs opening the door for some of the local ladies, because I thought that's something that all of us would do, right? Uh, but when the Beatles came on the scene, of course, uh, Hard Day's Night, and some of their earlier, uh, the movies that they made, we were made sure we went and tended them.
0: Those movies made it up here.
1: Yeah, that's they amazing. they made it. I remember they when they came out, there was uh, an ad in the paper, the Beatles are coming to town. And what it meant is that uh, the actual Beatles. Volkswagen cars were being sold at YK Motors or something. So it really tricked us but the excitement was there for just a split second. <laughs> That's funny. Of course my influence in the Beatles would have been McCartney because he was a bass player. My influence of the Beatles music right from the very early stuff uh, I enjoyed you know the very first Beatles album some stuff that people had probably never even heard of and uh go to him. It was a real different sound, uh, as well as the early stones. I prefer the earliest stones, like Aftermath. It ain't easy, it ain't easy living on your own, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of beat.
0: British invasion sort of happening, yeah. sort of like, I mean, that was the, the sort of peak of it, probably was yeah. in the mid-60s.
1: and when Hendrix came along, of course, that was way on to, up top there with uh, not a musician, but a friend who's still around. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ralph Niggy came over from Germany. Ralph, the painter, and he turned us on to Hendrix's uh, Are You Experienced album. And uh, still love listening to it to this day. Uh, it's great listening to it once in a while. I still have a turntable. I pull it out once in a while. and still turns me on to this day, some of that stuff.
0: Uh, that was a magical, magical time for uh, just uh, just the youth uh, and the empowerment that uh, that came with the music that was happening at the time. And, yeah. Uh, just there's a purity there that you just you just can't you can't deny. Yeah. Um, were you able to get any other radio stations besides CBC?
1: No, CFYK Radio C-F-Y. was the only one. And so,
0: I- were those programs sort of current? Were you getting the new music? From that radio station, or like how much were you getting, or what were you getting from, from CFYK at that time?
1: Well, I think it was mostly folky and country stuff, you know, up to uh age of about 12 years old, you know, probably before I started playing, because I didn't really start playing till I was about 12. And around that time is when, you know, I started buying records, and it was more a record thing to get the music.
0: Yeah, okay and then do you remember like the cassette coming in or the reel-to-reels and stuff like that like like,
1: uh it was more or less after uh after the albums of course you get the odd eight-track tape but unless you're lucky to uh be in somebody's vehicle like my friend Wayne Bertrand I remember listening to a band there uh the electric flag my first turn on And listening to that band and uh, of course cassettes regular audio cassettes later you know and
0: you know as far as like the recording and stuff like okay being able to actually just sort of take one of those little early Sony cassette decks and and set it up in
1: the room and hear yourself back I mean that must have been a trip to be able to do that part of our band I remember the old CBC station radio station Uh, Roy Gallagher I think his name was we went in there and we used to have our own little radio show I forgot all about that this was Stained Glass Illusion I think and he did something with the reel-to-reels where he made it sound like a jet sound in the background and we had an instrumental theme song and we were being played on the radio you know and that was great that's what helped our little fame there too
0: what years would that have been Uh,
1: I would think we would have been in our our mid-teens and that was just great you know a guy like that Wanting to do this little show and bringing us in and first time in in a studio and that experience, you know, and I forgot all about that. Yeah, yeah, that was a good experience working there and doing that. There was something magical about about the whole thing, you know, just looking at different guitars, even pictures in the catalog. I think when you're as a musician, you have there's something magical. I don't know what it is. I can't describe it. And to this day, I still have that feeling about it. You know, there's something about instruments, there's something about the music that, oh, I can't describe it. You know, it's it's a love or whatever. You know, I don't know what it is, but it's be there till the day
0: I die. I would like to thank Gary for sharing his rich musical life story with Musicians of the Midnight Sun. To hear more, see photographs of his life and the full interview transcript, check out musiciansofthemidnightsun.com linked in the show notes. You can follow along as well on Facebook and Instagram. If you would like to support the continuation of this project, please donate it on our website, musiciansofthemidnightsun.com. I would like to thank the City of Yellowknife Heritage Committee and the Northwest Territories Creative Industries Economic Recovery Fund for supporting this podcast series, and to thank the Northwest Territories Arts Council, Government of the Northwest Territories Department of Education, Culture, and Employment. Yolenite Community Foundation and the City of Yolenite Heritage Committee for supporting the website so far. A full list of supporters can be found on the website. The archival audio of this podcast is from the Northern Musicians Project Collection at the Northwest Territories Archives. I'm Pat Brayton. Thanks for listening.